This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Kyle. Uh, I'm here with Kyle Sermonara. Kyle is a uh, former NCAA All-American, New York State champ, undefeated, but semi-retired or retired mixed martial arts fighter. Um, you're the husband to Caitlin Sermonara, UFC fighter. You're the host of the Burn the Boats podcast. You're a real estate investor. You're one of the head coaches of Long Island MMA. And um, you're a training partner to some of the best best names in the business over here in New York, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, and MMA. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you, Kyle. Yeah, nice, nice to meet you too. Happy to be on. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love to learn a little bit about you, your background, where you grew up, how you got into uh, martial arts. Okay. Um, I grew up in like upstate New York or western New York, a uh, small town near Buffalo. And I, you know, just a regular family, I had brothers, sisters, uh, two brothers, one sister. And I um, started wrestling when I was in like sixth grade. Well, actually, I guess at the end of fifth grade, I went to like, there's like an intramural type practice after school. And I went and I like instantly loved it. And I liked it right away. And at the time, the uh, coach there was like, how old are you? And I told him like 10 or whatever, fifth grade. And then he's like, well, where's your mom? And then my mom came and picked me up and she was, he was like, you need to keep bringing him here because he's going to be a state champion and it's going to pay for his college. And my mom was like, we, we didn't come from like a wrestling family or yeah. even like an athletic family, really. But um, so then she kept bringing me and, you know, progressed and did, you know, well in high school. Then uh, went to college, got a scholarship. Where'd you go to school? I went to the University of Buffalo, which historically isn't a very good wrestling team, mm-hmm. um, but it's division one. But like back then there was no flow wrestling. There was no like, no, really barely the internet. Right. So like I never watched college wrestling, but I knew I was like, well, I'm good in high school. So I'll be good in college. Then I went there <laughs> and then I realized I was like, oh, wait, they've never even had one All-American ever. Never once. So it was a lot. I made it a lot harder on myself than it could have been because like I'm a big believer in like being a product of a program where you're like as good as the people around you it's hard to be like the the only guy and whatever you're doing that's very difficult to be the only guy so yeah my goal was to be an NCAA champion I never was but after college I was still like not happy so I wanted to uh, continue to pursue my goals so then I moved out I got invited out to the Olympic Training Center um, at the time, they had a resident program there. The coach was uh, Terry Brands, Terry Brands and Kevin Jackson. So the best of the best. Now I was more familiar with wrestling, you know. I was so exposed to it. So I knew, you know, these guys are like icons. So I moved out there and I lived there for almost three years. And um, then I kind of like, I guess, you know, more or less like reached my potential. I was like second at the U.S. Open, third at the U.S. Open. I qualified for, you know, all the Olympic and world team trials. It was top three at a couple of those. Um, but I, you know, I, I always think that I, I reached my potential. I was never made a team, but I lost to like Daniel Cormier, which was, you know, the, the, he was the best guy at that time. And then um, when he was gone, I was like, all right, now is my chance. I'm going to be the guy. Then I lost in the finals to Jake Varner. And I don't know if you follow wrestling, but he won the Olympics right then. So it was just, I was caught between a couple of really good guys, but you know, then I think that that gave me some satisfaction. Like, all right, I did pretty good. Like 
a one-time NCAA All-American, like I look, I'm like, oh, that's really not anything too special. It is. There's still, I'm still the only one ever at my college, but you know, I, I don't compare myself to stuff like that, or I never did. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, well, it's a good highlight accolade on the resume, but you know, when we're competing at the highest levels and you're getting right behind the best of the best, that's a, that's a tough feeling. You know, that's a, it's a, it's a hard feeling to, uh, evolve your life and say, you know, where, where do I want to be when I'm right behind Daniel Cormier? Um, I've talked about it on this podcast and it relates to what you said about being the only guy, you know, the Scotty Pippen to the Michael Jordan, you know, there's just these guys that were always right there. Right. And it's, um, that can be a, a very difficult thing to reconcile, but, um, you've turned it into coaching, which I think is a, an incredible uh, career path. I think that having the experience of being in like not the best program and then the very best program, I think that that's really helped me develop as a coach because after college then, um, or after the training center, then I went and I coached at, uh, Edinburgh university. Are you familiar with that program? I'm not. So it's a small school in Pennsylvania, but when I was there, we were like fourth and fifth and like eighth in the NCAA tournament. And it's a tiny school, like 12,000 students. Wow. But, you know, we had NCAA champions. That's where Gregor Gillespie wrestled, mm -hmm. uh, Jared yep. King, you know, Paul Dono. We had like national champions, you know, every year I was there. But um, so then I was under Tim Flynn. He's the head coach there. He's like a like kind of like a legendary coach. So I learned a lot from him. And then uh, I got a promotion at a different school and I coached at the University of Pennsylvania Again, I was under a really good coach there, Rob Eider. He was an Olympian, like kind of like an iconic wrestler. And then that's kind of when I was like, well, I'm coaching and I'm really enjoying coaching. I'm still happy, but, you know, I, I could still compete. I was wrestling with the guys every day. I think I was like 28 by then, 20, yeah, 28. So I was like, well, maybe I'm going to try fighting. And then <laughs> I tried fighting in Philadelphia, but again, like, it sounds like um, it sounds like I'm super old, but just how fast things go. But do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 38. 38. Okay. Yeah. So this was 2010. So the UFC is nothing like it is now in 2010. You think it's the same, but it, it's not. It was still kind of fringe. Yeah. So then the regional circuit was really fringe. So I just thought, well, I'm a good wrestler. No one can beat me. Yeah. All you have to be is a good wrestler. And back then, that was sort of true. Now, I don't think that's true at all. I think you have to be really well-rounded, at least be good at two of the components, like jujitsu mm -hmm. and wrestling or striking and wrestling. You need to be good at two out of the three for sure. But back then, you could do okay with just wrestling. But I literally had just wrestling. I just, like, showed up to the fight. <laughs> like, no striking, no jujitsu, nothing. And I won, but, you know, it was like, you know, a wrestling match. Mm. Then um, I had another fight um, and the same type of thing, like no training, just showed up. So then I thought, I was like, well, I'm going to quit coaching and fight full time. I'm going to try to, you know, but which is quite a, I think a, probably a bad decision because you have no income. You know? Yeah. Coaching was an income. It paid for my training. Maybe the training wasn't the best where I was, but you know, I could feed myself. H had you found your way into Henzo's at that point? Like, had you met John? No. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have never done this, but then I moved to California and I trained at AKA for about a year and I had like one more fight. And then 
by then I was like 30 and I really wasn't progressing. And I, I guess I didn't really have a feeling like, well, I'm going to be, you know, make my living on this as long as I keep putting in the time. I think I could have done okay, but I, I didn't ever really develop like the striking or, you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't have to be like, you know, at the time, like Kane Velasquez or something like that. Those guys were way better than me. Yeah. But so then I kind of got out of that and, um, you know, started pursuing some other things, um, some coaching. And uh, then when I moved to Long Island is when I started training in the city with uh, John Donner. And that's kind of when I really learned jujitsu. Yeah. Did you move to Long Island for your wife or did you move here and meet your wife? Um, I moved there and my, I met my wife. We, uh, we met on Instagram. Actually. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. She was um, fighting. She wasn't even in the UFC yet, but she was pretty well known on like the regional circuit. You know, she had like a, like a following and was well known. But um, I was living here and I was coaching at Long Island MMA. And then I was like on the circuit a lot. Like there's a lot of guys I was quartering UFC guys and stuff. And so she just kind of like saw my stuff. And then, you know, we, we an uh, internet uh, Instagram romance. <laughs> well, listen, it's uh, I yeah. like that. I think it's yeah. uh, very modern. So well, that's just the way it is. Right. I, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm a Long Island native born. I actually just moved back here for the first time since I was 14 years old. Oh, nice. um, I've been living in the city all this time. And COVID, and then I had a couple kids, and I just moved to uh, Mutton Town, which is oh wow, about nice. ten minutes away from Sarah's. But I train at Budokan with uh, Matt Cully and oh, Arjun Dendra uh, and Randy Brown. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Did, that's that's where I've been training. You know, my whole jujitsu career. Great. But I've always seen you and your wife around over the past few years. Yeah. You know, on the local circuit, and then rising up. To actually, you know, Matt Cully's podcast, I think you were on, right? The Fight Cave. Yes. And, uh, you know, and all well, those local. So, yeah. So, you guys you guys have been around. But I, I had thought that one, or, one of you was a Long Island native, but you guys no. you guys came here. Which is weird because not a lot of people seem to move to Long Island. It's kind of a difficult place to live, right? Yeah, very. To just move here. But um, yeah, I had a lot of friends here from, like, you know, wrestling and college and stuff. And, you know, I just kind of like ended up here. And then uh, it's been really good for us. We've, you know, we have, we have a really nice life, Be especially, you know, before COVID, I was like, oh, this is the best place ever with right near the city, the beaches in the summer. Yeah. And now the city, we don't really go there as much anymore. So <laughs> yeah, the city, I mean, it's, uh, it's like a leper colony. It's crazy what happened in, in such a short amount of time. Right. I don't want to go down, I don't want to go down that path. Only is to say that it's crazy that the whole jujitsu world was here. Yes. Between Henzo's and John Danahar and Marcelo Garcia and Unity and all these incredible yes. schools. And then COVID hit and they just went and they all kind of left for the most part. Well, I mean, Henzo's is still there, but people will ask us all the time, like, do you guys still train at Henzo's? And we're like, yeah. no, because we, I don't, we didn't really, I, I love Henzo, but he, he's not, he doesn't really teach there. Mm -hmm. but we were there with John. And then yeah. once he left, now I feel like that's just, it's just kind of like a regular school. It's a long way to go to just be like a regular school, you know, there's a million gyms on Long Island that are, you know, good gyms. Right. But when Don was there, it was worth traveling because yeah, the room, that, was the room. The, that was the first time I was ever in a room <clears throat> since I left the training center that I was like, Oh wait, this is like the training center, like the best guys in the world. And it was only focused on the best guys. Like a regular school focuses around like, like the mean, 
like the average, like they, they can't really get too far ahead because they can't leave people behind where right. John teaches. It's you got to catch up with Gordon. It's yeah. designed for Gordon and Gary. And, you know, a lot of stuff will go over most people's heads, but that's really how you get to the highest level. I think. Yeah. What an incredible coach and communicator. Um, wh what's been your experience learning under John, you know, when you were there? It was an uh, amazing experience. Um, technically, you know, it helped me with my own grappling. And then just also like his approach is, it helped, has helped me as a coach. Um, but he's, you know, he's like the highest level of coach. You know, like he's, if wrestling would be like, you know, John Smith or Cal Sanderson, those guys are, you know, basketball, it's like, you know, Phil Jackson, he's, he's kind of like that type of coach. He's so like analytical and he breaks everything down. Like John could be a wrestling coach, no problem. He's never wrestled, but he studied it so much that he could be a, a college wrestling coach and do really well, or he yeah. could be like a striking coach. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's just an expert at martial arts. Yeah. Um, I, I went earlier in my martial arts career. I had the privilege and honor to train under Harry and Gary St. Ledger. You ever come yeah. across those yeah. guys in the gym? Right. Uh, Olympic level judo. And I remember Harry saying the same thing about John's judo. Yeah. He could be a judoka. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like so many disciplines. And then recently Gary Tonin's been talking that John's his striking coach. He's his only coach. Yeah. His only coach. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. My observation on John was, forget coaching, but he was the most effective communicator I've ever learned under, you know, uh -huh. speaking to a person. Uh, Joe Rogan talks about this all the time, economy of words, like how many words and what you need to say to communicate effectively. Yeah. And every time I take a class with John, I just, it's the way he teaches, the, the way he speaks. And when I spoke to him on this podcast about that, he, he said that language is a, a human superpower and just how, how effective that is as a coach is something that I think most people, average people just don't think about. Yeah. But if you're, if you coach people on the regular, it's something that's really important. Yeah. He's really at such like a next level that like, I've done a couple of BJJ fanatics videos and I'm always like, uh, it's a tough act to follow. Cause if that's the <laughs> bar and he's, he makes it like a, like a, you know, major motion picture. It's like six hours long and so much narrative and it's, it's, if you're comparing yourself to John, then you're like, uh, I don't really deserve to be doing these videos, but he, he's just really good at it. And, and Gordon's similar. I don't think he's as like eloquent as John, but he's learned a lot of that, yeah. you know, teaching style. Gordon's a great, a great instructor too. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say before you don't put yourself down. I, your instruction is, is world-class at every single possible way that you could say it. I was watching you uh, do a video with Robert Diggle or Diggle. Hmm. How do you say his last name? I say Diggle. <laughs> I think that's his real name is, is Robert Diggle. John says uh, Deagle, Robert Deagle. But I, I always said Diggle. I think it's Diggle. Yeah. I yeah. watched you do a, uh, a video demonstration with, with him on, uh, I guess, just on YouTube at some point. And you're a world-class coach. And you're working with you know some of the best in our region. Uh, Long Island MMA is a bit of a factory in itself. How, yeah. what's, what's the current state of affairs over at Long Island MMA? How are you guys doing as a gym? The gym's doing amazing. I think it's probably the strongest gym on Long Island in terms of like numbers, like students. Um, in terms of like elite pro guys, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of guys have kind of like 
moved on, uh, retired, whatever. Mm-hmm. So now it's like the next crop is coming in, which is like, you know, guys having success on the regional level, but you know, we'll see who goes to the you know, next, next level is tough, but there's still Chris Wade. He's an elite guy. He's yeah. still training. Um, Brian Kelleher is there. I don't do anything with him, but he's a, an elite guy. Um, then there's like, you know, like two or four guys that are doing well on like the regional circuit. But it's kind of like at one time there's like five guys doing really well in the UFC, but that's kind yeah. of you know like a re I don't know starting over phase. Yeah, is Chris Wade is in the PFL right? He's yeah, he's in the PFL. Really well there. Yeah, he's, he's a great. Be, yeah. He's a great grappler. I've seen him at Rise, uh, the grappling yeah. promotion here on yeah, Long Island. Yeah, he's too. he's a very very high level grappler as you know just yeah yeah. He's he's great. We did a workout the other day. It was me, him, and uh, D- uh, Dante Leon was in town. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really good. They had some wow. good scraps. Yeah, he's uh, Dante Leon's incredible, incredible yeah, uh, competitor. Uh, what's it been like crossing over from you from from wrestling to jujitsu? You know, you I think you first came onto my radar when you were uh, coaching and training Gordon for the 2019 ADCC. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was coming out to Long Island a lot, posting a lot on social media. Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, the, it's, it's been a great experience. Like I always say now I like jujitsu better than wrestling now because it's more like, you know, full, full martial art. Like wrestling is like control where jujitsu will end something, yeah. you know, and, and you don't have to be a super high level. Like if you're like a, good purple belt you could probably like leg lock the wrestling world champion right and like finish them they, they do things like those silly matches it was like nikki ryan versus uh anthony ramos yeah they him in like 30 seconds but there's people yeah. in the wrestling world they're like oh he's gonna spike them i'm like no you don't understand like it doesn't need to be nikki ryan like robert deagle could do the same thing or sure. i'm sure you know one it's just they're so different but if you know wrestling and jujitsu, then it really is a superpower. Yeah, yeah, it really is. If you could pick one of the two, uh, this is contrary to what a lot of people think, but I think that jujitsu is a little more like, I don't know, full and enco- all encompassing. Yeah, it's uh, Nardu. Sensei Nardu said something really incredible in his book about martial arts and traditional martial arts and kind of, you know, the bow and the gi. And he's like, you know, there's something that's really beautiful and special about that. And it does help you become a great martial artist and live a great life. It's like, but if you don't think that some D1 or even D3 college wrestler is going to walk into the dojo, he's never bowed before. He's going to walk in with his shoes and he's going to spike you on your (laughs) your head. He's going to, he's going to double you and he's going to take you down. So if it goes long enough, it does. Yeah. If it goes long enough, the jujitsu guy will probably end up winning. Yeah, at some point. Well, that's what the UFC was all about. I mean, the UFC answered that question for us in the beginning. Right. You know, just straight up stylistically, jujitsu has a has an edge over most arts because you know you're going to take the person to the ground and you're going to strangle them. And, right. But and now, like they always say, like, well, no, wrestling is most of the champions are from a wrestling background. Yeah, and that's true. But like Kamar Usman is also a black belt in jujitsu. Right. If he didn't wasn't a black belt in jujitsu, it would be a lot harder for him to win. You need yeah. both. Like I think basically like, across the board, most of the today's wrestlers are, are very, very, very high level in jujitsu, at least enough. Very high level. Like to say, like uh, you know, Al Jermaine Sterling, he comes from a wrestling background, but he's a black uh, Matt Sarah black belt in jujitsu. 
right? Yeah. So it's not just the wrestling isn't why he's the world champion. It's, yeah. it's part of it. It's a big, big part of it. But you need everything, I think, to win at the highest level. Yeah. I'm interested in your opinion on – have you been watching Gary Tonin uh, compete in yeah. one? Yeah. I feel like his his style is the next the next evolution of this sport. Like what he's doing – in if he can continue to develop his striking, but what he's doing to people with that level of uh, jujitsu wrestling striking combo is like yeah. something I you just yeah, don't see it. You're not seeing it in, in in most sports. There's like the high level strikers are are striking and high level wrestlers are wrestling, but he's bringing this whole new jujitsu thing. Yeah, well, with him, he has the ability to take someone down. We're like, say for instance, Ryan Hall, who's an incredible jujitsu uh, athlete. As a fighter, he needs to create like a scramble or end up on the ground where Gary could go take someone down, put him right on the ground. Now you have to do jujitsu with Gary Tony. Right. Where Ryan Hall, I mean, he might not be able to take down, you know, someone like Gregor Gillespie, some really high level wrestler. And then, then, then it becomes a really hard matchup for him where mm -hmm. Gary could just take you down. Yeah. So it's, it's a little different with him because he actually has takedowns. Yeah. You... Are a real estate investor? Is that that's something yeah. you put out there? What what do you do? Um, well, we do all different things, but we started primarily with uh, Airbnbs. With um, but we actually own the house, own the houses. We, and you and your wife, me, my wife, and we have a partner. Okay, um, who I actually met because I used to train when I first moved here. I trained as a kid, and uh, I was. You know, we became real, real close to them. Like I traded skip for like seven years. Now this kid wrestles for Oklahoma, but um, we got started doing business. I remember he went the first time I went to his house. He was like, "Oh, I got a wrestling room at my house." They're like, "Oh, okay. Uh, we could train there sometimes if you want." He's like, "Yeah, come by." And I went there. I was like, "Oh, this is like a rich person." Like, of course, like real rich like that. So we became like really, really close, and I asked him like this is like eight years ago i was like like how to be rich <laughs> like, and then he kind of like gave me a plan he like literally wrote it out and um i followed it for like years and then we started doing business together and then we bought a couple properties together and we still have all of them and we've done well but uh yeah we started with airbnbs and then with airbnbs we you know with those money with the, the money we make from the airbnb then we bought a couple like um longer term rentals around like college towns actually in oklahoma by a sun mm -hmm. school and then you know we've done a couple flips too but yeah so we do a little bit of everything very fascinated by this what was the basics of this plan it was basically to save a hundred grand okay he's like you can't do anything until you do that He's like, so he's like, pack your lunch every day. You know, he's like, bring a sandwich. Don't do, you know, just live below your means, you know. And then once you have that, then he's like, you could start making moves. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's a, a grind. But there was, it, it's if you get like $10,000, you're like, oh, I'm going to invest in this stock. Like, what are you going to do? Like, maybe if you get in Bitcoin in 2009, obviously, you know, make a lot of yeah. money. Yeah, luck. <laughs> Tremendous amount of luck. So this was just like save, save, save. Um you know, that you can work a few different jobs, save, and then, you know, establish good credit. And then um, we bought our first property like, you know, like four years ago. Wow. Yeah. And so that, where was the property? East Hampton. East Hampton. Okay. That's a nice address. Well, for um, 
Airbnbs, that's like, it doesn't even really make sense. Like, yeah. it, it does really well. But um, we we got it like kind of at a almost perfect time. It was like right, like, you know, like right before like COVID, like after COVID, things went like crazy, like yeah. the prices because everyone moved from the city out there. Like they were, you know, that was me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even now the prices are still super high, but we, it was really good timing. And then um, it was like a, it needed a lot of work. It was like a, pretty much like a full gut we did, but now it's like a beautiful property and it's, it's doing well. And so we have, now we have two there, but yeah, they're doing good. And you had to learn from scratch everything from how to buy those properties, to renovate those properties, to rent those properties, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've bought houses before, like our own house and stuff, but in terms of an investment, no, I've never done that. But uh, yeah, so that was a process. And then like, you don't realize when you do an Airbnb, you really, it's not just like buy a house and put it on the market. You have to get pictures for the walls and you need to get, you know, knives and forks and dishes. So you, you have to like, you know, stage an entire house. Like they need, you know, a food processor and everything. They have to have everything. Cause it's kind of like a, like, you know, we call it luxury vacation rentals. Yeah. So you need to have like, you know, the best of, you know, the, the full, fully functioning house. Cause people will go there and be like, where's your uh, turkey baster? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> then we had to get one. Is around Thanksgiving? Someone yeah. said that. I was like, oh, we don't have a turkey baster. But, you know, there's things like that, that, you know, you pick up as you go. But yeah. So is it the, you have student housing now and you have Airbnbs. Is yep. that, are you looking, are you, is that the lane that you want to stay in? Or are you going to start to go bigger deals? And um, I'd like to get like big, like a multi-unit type thing. But yeah, because I think that Airbnb, they're going to like tighten down on it at some point. Yeah. I think it's like now, like we wanted to start getting some in like South Florida because he has a bunch in South Florida. But again, pre-COVID, but now people are selling them as like a business. They're yeah. selling the house as a business because they know like people are buying it for, so right. you're paying like 30% over what the house is actually worth, you know? Yeah. So it's tough. Like that, I think that business could change a little bit. Yeah. So Did you see uh, this past week and this has been going on for a few years, but that East Hampton is, is shutting down their private airport for, for private flights. Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, East Hampton, the town has a private airport, a very famous yeah. private airport. Yeah. And uh, the the residents, you know, kind of rebelled against the the 1% billionaire class. I right. think they 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 said it was like the 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 2% versus the 1%. That's the article I remember seeing wow. something like that. Um, but you know, that you could envision that that could happen pretty easily with Airbnbs too, you Big know. Like they, could just, they could just come in and be like no more Airbnbs. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, they have the strictest rules ever there. Like we got in trouble because we like, you know, like cleaned up the front lawn. It was like branches and leaves on the ground and we cleared them up and we had to pay a fine. You can't, you can't like re rake the leaves. If a tree oh, wow. falls, it's got to stay. Wow. Yeah. So we did like a full, yeah, it's weird. Like you can't use a, like a leaf blower, mm -hmm. anything like environmental, like you can't do anything like that. it's wild and if you cut something down you have to plant something to replace it but i don't know it it's not my favorite place to visit or be but yeah. it's good for business have you as you've started your career in business have you found principles from your life as a martial artist a coach uh wrestling that you're like you find yourself doing business and you're like wow 
this is familiar or um well i think just like anything is just a lot of times you got to just work hard you got to grind or like you know you can't you know sleep too much or you have to just be able to like have high energy and um you know sometimes until you start like making money in your business you got to have like you know three or four other things going on but that's i guess just like work ethic but that's anything um but aside from that, no, I think just work ethic, really. But then more than anything, like my partner I met directly because of wrestling. And my wife, who's, you know, my partner too, yeah. we met because of, you know, martial arts. So like every important person in my life is from martial arts, not even close, like from wrestling or, you know, martial arts. That's, it's, I'm really happy that you're saying that because uh, occasionally I'll coach somebody in business and usually they've been teammates from jujitsu. You know, they know that I'm an entrepreneur, a business person. And so they'll come to me with some idea that they have, you know, whether yeah. it's a realtor or they want to flip a home. I'm in the commercial real estate business, by the way. I do own uh, commercial like shopping centers, office buildings, apartment buildings. And then I also own um, women's clothing stores. I have mixology clothing company. We have 12 oh, wow. women's clothing stores. So, you know, the teammate will come to me and they'll be like, hey, I want to flip a house or I want to, and they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And I tell them exactly what you found out. I was like, start right here. You know, start in the dojo. Everybody here is, this is a, like a team. Family. Oh, if you need a plumber, there's going to be yeah. a plumber in the dojo. If you need right. like, uh, you know, everyone you need, every single person I know is from like my first mortgage guy was one of my, you know, do you know Eric Ott? No. He's a big jujitsu guy. He's a black belt. Yeah. He trains at Long Island, but he does mortgages, you know, yeah. so he's the first, you know, every single person, everything I've ever done is you know, through martial arts, someone at the gym, you know, it really is like that. Like Ryan LaFleur, he's, he's, a, he's someone you should have on. He's a big time business guy. Great. Yeah. Guy. I'd love to flee. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love for you to connect me to him. That would be, that would be great. Yeah. But I've run a lot of business ideas from him and we've done things together. We, we flipped the house this summer together. Me and him. Yeah. But, he, you know, when you, when you're when you're a complete beginner, a complete novice in business or jujitsu or anything else, and somebody says something that like that to you, it can feel almost scary. Like it's that easy, you know? Yeah. All I have to do is be a good guy and show up and 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 meet people and talk to people. And very often, what you'll see is people start jujitsu. They stay in the back of the room. You know, they don't know anybody's name. They don't shake anybody's hand. They come in, they train, they joke around, and then they get a nickname. You know, oh, there's a blue shirt guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's Kyle. He's a real estate investor. You guys should talk. And like just that basic A step of like trying to get people to understand the first principles of networking, they don't even know they have a network. One of, one of my guys sat in front of me and he was like, I don't have a network. I said, yeah, you're yeah. sitting in front of me right now talking to me. How did you get to me? Right. So I, I'm just so happy to hear you say that. And um, oh, I tell him I have a younger brother who's a lot younger than me, like 15 years younger, but he's kind of like a screw up in high school and he didn't go to college. And, you know, he was kind of like, you know, just, you know, doing nothing with his life. And I was like, yeah, you should train jujitsu. You start training jujitsu. He started training jujitsu and now he got like a pretty good job and he's like motivated and like, just keep doing that and good things will happen. If you just, cause that's like you said, your network, if you don't have a network, then things are really difficult. Cause why should they hire you? If they don't know you, if you just randomly apply for a job or something, yeah. that's not going to work out. But if you build your network, you're going to, you know, meet people and Oh, this person, this person, but yeah, the, the network in jujitsu is just incredible. 
and it's and it's universal too. Like if you go somewhere and be like, oh, you train, are you cauliflower ear, like you're instantly friends. Yeah. yeah. You met your wife through training, um, yeah. and your business partners also. Yeah. Uh, what's that? What's that dynamic? And she's also a professional fighter at the highest level right now. What are those dynamics like? Well, I mean, she's you know we have like the best relationship. Like she's you know we're best friends and you know and love not just friends you know but um she's competing at the highest level she's at the tip of the spear like she's behind valentina but she's been number two for you know years so she's done really well in the ufc like i i can't believe how i mean i, I can believe it because i see what she works but how hard she works but people don't realize like she's beaten everyone in the top 10 she's never fought someone who's not in the top 10 literally in 14 fights three were at 135 and um 11 were at uh 125 and it was every single one was a top 10 opponent no one else has ever done that yeah. and she's done really well but um she's like you know she's ride or die with business too like with anything like i you know last week two weeks ago we bought a house in oklahoma and i did with my business partner michael and i just told her i was like oh we bought a house today and she doesn't even actually like, okay <laughs> she doesn't even ask. Like yeah. And she's not another important thing with business too. I think you can't be scared to like go down to the felt like that. You know, that's it, like a gambling term. I don't know if you're, yeah. familiar, but like the felt of the table, the felt, yeah, the table. Again, like yep. you can't be afraid of that. And she's not afraid of that at all. Like we, we did that on our first, you know, first project went all in. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, that's a, maybe, now maybe you should you're actually, you're the first person I'm, I'm speaking to since I've like, I have the roadmap and all the chapters and everything like done of this book that I've been writing for, you know, a year and a half now, almost two years. And, uh, two of the things that you just brought up are two of the chapters. So I was interested. I wanted to, I wanted to get your feeling on this. One of the things is, is your family, you know, as it relates to when you have a non-traditional life, like if you're a martial artist or a UFC champion or high performing business, mm -hmm. sometimes your family doesn't, can't understand, you know, what you do, or what you're going through. In your case, you guys are so linked in, but then the second part of it comes up. And I was interested to see if, if this was something that you've ever experienced either together or apart. And it's, you can either be each other's biggest fans, which it sounds like you are, or you can always be competing against each other. You yeah. Know what I mean? There's absolutely none of that. Like yeah. none of that. And anything with athletics, like I would say, she's been a way higher level than me. Like no comparison. She's at the tip of the spear. And everything with that is just a hundred percent her. I have nothing to do with it. It's a hundred percent her. But then when it comes to our like our life and our business, we're like, you know, completely on the same page, like totally together, support each other so much. And you know, I think that's the way it has to be. It can't be like someone's wavering, like, oh, I don't think we should do this. I think we should play the same. Like, she's like all in, no matter what. And yeah. she trusts me and with like that kind of thing. And then and she's really good, too. She's, you know, really good at business, too. Yeah. She, that's the, answer. That's, the name of your podcast is Burn the Boats. Yeah. Normally what that means is there, we're no, there's no turning back. Yeah. Like so 100% you know, all in. What it, means. it means like all in. Like I said, down to the felt, yeah. burning the boats, however you want to say it. I, I, yeah. I love that like approach and and she's really like that too and so they have they've worked out for a podcast name but uh i think it's really important yeah it's uh it's incredibly important and it's also one of the things that i think some people have a very hard time understanding the importance of is like the the relationships in your life 
And are these people going to be my biggest supporters or are they going to be competing against me all the time when I'm, you know, when you're trying to do something incredible? And COVID really brought that out in my family because for the first time in almost 20 years, we were all living under the same roof together. You know, we, we all fled the city from our tiny little apartments. And then we were living in my parents' apartment, me, my siblings, their wives, the kids, wow. we we're all under one roof. And so you really kind of find out the dynamics that, you know, sometimes they only come out at Thanksgiving. Sometimes they only come out in the, the worst. And so you get to see the best and the worst of people. And, um, and so when you work alongside of your wife and you're both super high performers, it's, 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 well, I saw you guys on your podcast together and that's what made me think about it in terms of this chapter of the importance of, of really having each other's back on all these different areas. Yeah. Yeah. We, she, we really do like, you know, like there's so many cliches like ride or die, whatever you want to say, but that, that that's her. She, you know, th you've probably seen the same thing. It's like marry the right person. This will determine 90%, 99% of your like happiness or misery. And that's true. Yeah. That, that's a hundred percent true. I've had like, you know, a million relationships, terrible, toxic, <laughs> but when you have the right one, everything just is just easy. Yeah. I think um, that's the most important thing for it to be successful you have to have the right relationship yeah I think. yeah absolutely um what are your, some of your goals for your business over the course of the next year or three years how you how you setting goals Just for that growth. i mean every year we say like you know i want to get like three more properties this year you know the th small things like that but just constant growth that that that's that's it constant yeah. growth yeah. I never want, you know, if, if like six months or something goes by and we haven't done anything, like it kind of happened like maybe like eight, seven or eight months went by. We didn't do, well, no, maybe like five months went by. We didn't do anything. And I was like, oh, fuck, we're, we're stagnant. We're stagnant. Here. But you don't want to rush into anything either. Yeah. You have to be patient and pick the right deal. Because, you know, like, like our partner, Michael, always says, he's like, you make money on the buying price. Absolutely. And now there's really no such thing as good deals really anymore. I think because yeah. everything, it's such like a seller's market. That's very hard to get a good deal. We, we just got a house in Oklahoma and it was, they had 17 bids on the house. Yeah. We had an uh, you know, that's why, you know, I'm a, I'm a real estate investor too. And I've bought all kinds of deals and um, I flipped homes. I flipped 12 homes. I've bought apartment buildings and strip centers and office buildings. And when the market gets frothy in one area, sometimes it creates opportunities in the other area. And you have to step out and be like, I don't know. This is almost feels like a totally different business. And it's that yeah. risk of going all in, burning the boats and just being like, I have to go and find an asset class that maybe doesn't look as sexy right now. Or there's some kind of value add. A well, lot that's of why like the student housing, like you're not making like crazy money, but you definitely yeah. going to have people, you know? Yeah. But and there's value. Well, it extract. seems like it's so expensive right now, right? Yeah. It's hard to get a good deal. It's very, it's very hard to do deals right now. And one of the ways to 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 buy into these kind of markets is to is to do deals where you really have to add value and you have to work. Yeah. And there and there's upside. And you really have like you know if you're going to go buy a house, it's almost like not to say you want a totally dilapidated house, but you have to go and you have to go find no, a house that's going to. But even that, I mean, we did a deal um, last year in Boca. We bought a house and it was like, again, now two years ago, it was perfect timing, like perfect yeah. timing. And then the plan was like, knock it down and then build, you know, a spectacular house. So we knocked it down and it was just the dirt 
And then someone found us and they're like, we'll pay you. It was like double what we paid for us for the dirt. Just wow. for, yeah. And then we did that just because like the building prices and permits and everything else. It's very, it's a ton of work to, if you could get like an instant 150% return. It's yeah. Kind of worth it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's wild. But that the deals like that aren't, I don't think they're around too much anymore. Right they're always, they're always hard to find until then the whole market collapses and, the deals are there and then there's no money. <laughs> right. Then the yeah, money is right. Right. yeah. That's why they say like, oh, everyone, some people say like cash is trash. Sometimes yeah. it's good to have it though. Right. Like if, cause when the market drops, you could buy things cheap. Yeah. You always, you always need to have a good war chest and cash and access to cash and, and setting up, you know, building great rapport with your investors and making sure you're staying in touch with them. And so that you're ready to pull the trigger when you do want to do a deal, you know, you have right. your, 10, uh, 20, 30 people who there with, you know, checks ready to sign. It's right. just hard when the market drops by 30% and those checks, they see their portfolio go all the way down and now all of a sudden they don't want to write checks anymore. So yeah. it's, a uh, it's crazy to, to, to do business in these cycles, but, um, in just like jujitsu and wrestling, like all those little moments are actually where you, you find the best deals is in the panic and the craziness and all these, yeah. in all those times. Right. And uh, I saw you, you know, when you were doing that video with Robert, um, I think you said like you shoot in for the single, but they put their leg back and now you're on the other side. And like, if, right. if that's not the most perfect business metaphor of all time. As soon as you see one little, one little area to, to, uh, to maneuver, you have to switch immediately and not wait. And yeah. uh, so uh, Kyle, absolute pleasure. Let me uh, pull up where people can find you. You're Kai Serm at uh, on Instagram. Yep, I can find you there. And you are the Burning the Boat podcast. Let's see over here. Let me share that. That's a slow burn. That's hard to. That's hard, it's hard to get traction. I don't know how. Like, we enjoy doing it. Yeah, so we keep doing it, but it's hard to get traction on that. We what do we have? 150 subscribers. Not very good. Well, you know what? That's uh, you start all the way from the absolute very beginning. And, you know, I started this podcast and I had zero followers. I had never been on Instagram before. I didn't have the benefit of being having any kind of fame or any kind of background. Mm -hmm. The only thing I knew that I loved was talking about business and jujitsu. And I knew I was pretty good at business. And um, I said, I'm just going to do it every single day. Yeah, just, awesome. Other people are like, you know what? I want to talk to you about that too. Yeah, that's <laughs> I wrote awesome. down, yeah. I wrote down my whole dream list of all the people I wanted to talk to, and then by the you end had of the some first, great guests, so yeah, it's honored beyond. Yeah, I yeah. just love talking to you guys, and you know, you're such a you know high performer, you and your wife, at the, operating at the absolute highest levels of everything that you do, and now you're starting in business and and you're starting your podcast and. I mean, you guys have been crushing it your whole lives and everything you do. So it's just no matter what, you're going to keep going until you win. And that's... Yeah, hopefully. But we like doing it. Like, that's one thing. Most things we always say, like, you need to be focused, like, uh, like on the result. That I really just en I enjoy doing it. If it, you know, we, we like doing it together. It's not like, you know, we don't really make any money off it or anything, which sounds crazy. Like, why do it? But it's still, you know, we enjoy it. Well, so we can wrap up today because this is something I talk about a lot. Um at my clothing business, I have 300 employees wow. and mostly retail workers in, this, in stores. And in the past 
people could have sometimes looked down on retail workers, service workers, flight attendants, um, uh, waitresses, waiters. And now when you go into a store, it's so rare to get good service. So rare. It's almost like when you do get good service, it's like, wow, I want to come and see you all the time. Yeah. And so now what you're seeing on TikTok and social media and YouTube is regular people in service documenting their lives and they're being rewarded in a way that they never were previously for doing things, for just doing every kind of thing. Right. And I think that the integration of blockchain into that, into for the next 10 years, anybody who's creating content right now is taking the first step in participating in this new economy that we have. And this new economy is going to reward content more than anything else. So like if you are a fighter or you are a coach and you are brave enough to make content, you're like investing, you're planting a seed for something that people who don't, they just, they're not going to be able to catch up. So like you're, you're doing this right now with your wife and you guys are having these conversations and talking in front of the camera when think about how many of your contemporaries and peers are just too scared to do it or think it's too stupid. But yeah, it's, it's hard to do like, you know, if you have a million followers, you're like, oh, it's cool to do. But it's yeah. hard to do when you they see the numbers, like, oh, we had 300 downloads this week. Like it's hard yeah. to, you know. Yeah. But for you and anybody else listening, you have to keep going and you have to do it just like jujitsu or wrestling. You have to do it consistently. You have to do it every day. You can't take three days off or three months off because then you're starting all over again. And like jujitsu is a jealous mistress. If you take off one week and go on vacation and you don't train, it's yeah. like three months of lost productivity. And it's the yeah. same thing with content. It's the same thing with anything in business. And so, yeah, I would just encourage you to keep going and just do it as much as possible and do it frequently and just take it really, really seriously and put everything out there that you're doing uh, on content, on social. Um, what we've seen at my business is nothing short of, it's, it's almost like a miracle. Like that's, that's what I would call it for wow. people who are gen, cause you have to think about it this way, 300 employees, three years ago, none of them were making content. Now 10% of them are making content. So we're getting tens of thousands of impressions a day from wow. all of the content. Some people get 500 views a day. Some people get 10,000 views a day. Our TikTok is up to around 10,000 followers. Is that a lot or is that a little? It's had over millions of streams. Right. So just anybody that will listen to this and I say, you have to take this deadly seriously. My wife is a, a foot and ankle surgeon. Oh, she wow. started her TikTok uh posting about two weeks ago. She's up to 8,000 followers. She's had millions of impressions. That's amazing. And her whole entire calendar filled up in two weeks off TikTok, people who want to come and see her. So it's just, again, like I'm, I'm a big, big, big believer in content and, uh, yeah. and this web three thing we're going into. Anyway, just thought I would share that with you. Yeah, I, appreciate I, think that. You're, I think you're on the right path. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I hope to meet you in person one day, Kyle. Definitely. And train together. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And, uh, if you ever need anything or if I could be of service to you, please reach out. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. Have a good one. Thank you.